You're listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. Mom Moments. Um, I want to thank all the listeners for coming in tonight, and we have a very exciting show. Uh, tonight, we have a super guest, Nancy Lefkowitz, and my co-host for the evening, Elizabeth Lentz. Um, before I go into the introduction, um, I'm going to keep you all in suspense about what we're going to get into. I want to give everyone just a quick update. Morph Mom Moments just started last week, so this is our second official show. And I'm sure there are many of you out there right now saying, what is a Morph Mom? What exactly is this that we're listening to? So just to give you a brief update about what this is, which will then, uh, will sort of, you'll understand more about what we're going to do. Um, so basically, I am Morph Mom. I'm the founder of Morph Mom. And if you need to look at it, it's morphmom.com, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. And the story about how this came to be was I used to be a lawyer. I was a prosecutor. And I had three kids. And I stopped at my second. And about 14 years went by, thinking it was minutes and feeling like, well, of course, I've only been gone from the office for a couple seconds. I'm going to walk right back in. That was not exactly the case. So when I returned 14 years later, it was not exactly as I thought it would be. So I sort of figured out pretty quickly I was going to have to figure out something else to do. I loved it. I absolutely loved what I had done. But the transition back was just going to be too tremendous, and it wasn't going to go as smoothly as I had hoped. So in trying to figure out what to do, I really had, and I'm sure many of you experienced this as well, that I'd lost a great deal of confidence. My identity had sort of switched. I was now a mother of kids at home, and my job was carpooling and doing whatever else I needed to do. But as far as who I was anymore was a big question. I really didn't know. I didn't know where I sort of fit in anymore. I had been a lawyer. I didn't know who I was now, who I was supposed to be, but I knew I had to do something. So I had read, and I apologize to those listeners who have heard this last week, the description, but bear with me. I'll try and be brief. (laughs) But um, I thought, okay, I've read a million children's books to my kids. I was an English major a million years ago in college, so I'm going to give this a shot. So I wrote a children's book. I did not share that with many, as I said. I kind of lost the confidence. I lost the – to tell someone that I thought I could write a book was just absolutely terrifying, that I was terrified of their reaction to my insistence that I could do something like that. So I kept it very secret. And at night, I would search and search and search the radio – I'm sorry, the um, internet for ways that one could publish a book, not that this was any masterpiece or was going anywhere beyond probably my computer, but it made me feel good to go out there and give it a shot. And I couldn't find a place that would just give me simple steps, very simple answers. So going into this with very little confidence, very little, I didn't know how far I could push this. I didn't know how soon I would quit. So I wanted to try and get the answer before I gave up, and I couldn't get that answer there. Coupled with one thing that actually broke the camel's back, I mentioned this inadvertently to a friend, a friend of 13 years. And 
As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I wished with everything that I could to put them back in, but it was too late. They were out there. And the reaction was not exactly something I expected would ever wish upon anyone else, but actually turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. There was, without a noise, she rolled her eyes. She sighed with intense disgust and walked away. So I kind of sat there for a minute, sort of shaking my head, kicked to the gut. Now what do I do? Wow. So again, devastated at the time, furious with myself that I was going to allow someone's reaction affect my own pursuit, but I did. And in teaching my kids, it doesn't matter what other people think. You pursue what you want to pursue. I was doing exactly the opposite. I was shut down for a couple of days, got my act together. And I decided, coupled with the fact, again, that I'd been trying to do something and I couldn't find an easy way to find the steps to do it. And secondly, there was no reason we shouldn't find a supportive group out there who would support whatever endeavor you're trying to accomplish, be it something you may never accomplish, but who are we to ever judge and not encourage someone? So this sort of became my mission. And I decided as a prosecutor, I knew how to interview people and I was going to start a website. I didn't, I barely could email at this point, but I was going to start a website. So this should encourage anyone out there, whoever wants to try something they are not familiar with, because trust me, I am the example of someone who started something without a clue, but I was determined to get this done. And I figured the bumps along the road would far be outweighed by the stories that I was going to share. And these stories were going to be women who had accomplished what they set out to accomplish. And in turn, were going to support others trying to do the same. They were going to provide the steps that they took, the things that went wrong, the things that went well. But I think most importantly, to take away that loneliness and that lack of confidence and to say, we're here. Whether you fail or succeed, we're here, we've done it, and we're here for your next attempt. And originally, because it's where I was coming from, it was sort of mom's returning to work. And how do you go about doing that? And that in and of itself morphed as well. I had women calling me from around the country saying, you know, I'm not a mom, but I can help. My story will help. Or uh, I am a mom. I never left work, but my road took many different directions and I think it could help. So really the concept has morphed into connecting women around the country, frankly, around the world as a support system. And and I, my hope is that it is fulfilling that mission. And um, that's where we are now. So as I said, we originally started with the website. And I have videos of 500 women, incredibly kind, generous women willing to share their story and support others. And so if you are looking to just start, you can go through a library of, of stories and see what you're looking for. And that's great. But I felt there was one more thing missing. How about... If I watched your video and you gave me three steps, but I needed a fourth. So now what? I'm back to zero again. So I started sort of a profile connecting thing, a networking within Morph Mom. So if you join Morph Mom, and you can do it very easily if you go to the site, you have the capability of connecting with any other Morph Mom or any other woman that's on the site and asking these questions. And it's a direct contact and no, it's very private. There are no Nothing is revealed about yourself because it's all within the site. And once again, that was great, but I felt there were even more women who needed something more. And it was the human connection, that human interaction. You know, someone who needed just a little bit more encouragement that they may have gotten just from the internet. So I now host cocktail parties around the country. And sometimes I feature one Morph Mom story. Sometimes I feature many. Sometimes it's just a topic that we're going to feature. And for example, in two weeks on January 28th, we're hosting an event, um, 
supporting a documentary, Documenting Hope, which is just a fascinating, fascinating documentary that really is proving some groundbreaking things that are going to come about from autism to ADD to Asperger's to allergies to asthma to a concept that this is an autoimmune, these are all autoimmune conditions, and there really is hope out there for recovery and treatment. And um, if anyone's interested in that event, I encourage you again to go to Morphom, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com, and you can find the information about that as well. Uh, And I really encourage you just to look at it as well. It's very, very fascinating. So that being said, we do these events around the country, and then I write about the stories for Huffington Post, which is really fun. And now, my most recent endeavor and you're all here to witness it, is the radio show. And I'm thrilled that City World Radio is giving me this opportunity to share these stories. Because again, it's all about connecting. And now we can live connect. Because you can live, you can call in during the show. And I really do encourage you to call in tonight. And I'm going to ask my co-host to say the phone number because I misspoke last week and gave the wrong number. <laughs> so. It's 212-631-7553. So enough about myself and Morph Mom. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce my very, very special friend to begin with and very, very special guest tonight, Nancy Lefkowitz. And I'm going to let Nancy introduce herself to everyone about what she's doing. But I think, um, Nancy, let me let you begin. Well, first, I want to say thank you, and thank you so much for having me here. And I actually want to hear more from you. It's so incredible what you've done. Uh, I, oh, we have caller, our first caller. I'm sure I'm related to that person. <laughs> I have no doubt. Uh, it's really a tall order. I'm not sure that I can offer up a stepwise process uh, to my journey, but I um, hope that there is something universal in in the story that the stories that I'll share tonight. Uh, My name is Nancy Lefkowitz. I'm thrilled to be here. I am the Senior Vice President of Talent Relations for Tribeca Enterprises, and I'm a board member of both the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence and Connecticut Against Gun Violence. I am a mom of three, uh, kids aged uh, ages 12, 10, and 7, and uh, wife to Noah, pretty great guy, great, very supportive, and they're listening now. So hi, guys. And uh, that's me. So it's amazing what you've accomplished and what you're doing now with three kids at home as well. And I'm going to ask if we can sort of go back to the beginning. And in many of my more fun interviews, that's sort of what we've done. We kind of start from the beginning because, as I said, many people who sort of come to Morph Mom are not sure where to go in this journey. And it becomes very less lonely and much more relatable if you can hear how somebody got there, the steps that they took. But not just the steps, sort of the personal experiences and the life experiences that went along with this as well. Yeah. And as I said, I don't know that I could recount a stepwise process that's linear. I think it's only now with hindsight, when we look back at the trajectory of our lives, am I able to make sense of it? Um, And I've talked with you about this before that I really feel like now in, in my middle ages that I'm finding my voice and I'm feeling comfortable finally and making sense of the choices that I've made all along. And some of them unknowingly, unwittingly, I found myself in situations where I've just responded. And I think in some ways, and you alluded to this as well with your story, uh, if we thought too much about what we were doing, we wouldn't do it. We would get stopped in our tracks. There would be the naysayers, the negative people, the doubters. Um, 
And another thing that upsets me about your story is that as women, we should be really lifting each other up. And there should be sort of a blind faith and support. And I think it does exist very much. And I've been lucky to be surrounded by some great women and supportive women and standing on the shoulder, certainly, of some of them. But it's always disheartening to hear when people have that experience, because I think there's plenty of opportunity to be beaten down. And we certainly don't need that from our our sisters. Um, so I guess I would say professionally, for me, things started after college. I always knew that I wanted to be in the movie business, but I didn't really know what that meant. I loved going to the movies as a kid. I still get a great thrill sitting in a movie theater. I'm so happy that I have children that love going to the movies with me still because there's a magic to me in being in a in a big cinema, the lights coming down, and then that magic being created on a screen. And I knew I wanted to be a part of that, but I didn't know what that meant necessarily. I started working. I got very lucky. Um, I was working for a film publicist, and I found out pretty quickly that that was not for me. Uh, and I think that's, by the way, just as important to kind of cross off the things that you know don't work, but try them. And I think that if you're not failing, you're not trying enough. Uh, you're not trying hard enough. And certainly my foray into publicity was a failure, although it led to my next uh, my next opportunity. I was fired from my first job, and that was very crushing and disheartening. And yet it was the thing that allowed me to pick myself up by my bootstraps and kind of brush off the dirt and, and keep going. I found a flyer. This was back in the days pre-internet. And there was a flyer for a movie, and there wasn't much about it. But I thought, okay, I'm going to go work on a movie set. I'm going to apply. And it turns out that it was a movie executive produced by Spike Lee. And I got the job. Um, I had interviewed. It was, It's kind of a joke because, of course, I was offering to work 16-hour days, 18-hour days, and not get paid for it. And yet it was very competitive. I was thrilled to have it. And it was my first access point into the film business. I worked really hard. We were working in the projects in – some pretty shady neighborhoods. And I was just so happy to be there that everything for me was a complete joy. And I think the takeaway from that is just have a good attitude. Be nice to to people. And, and that goes a long way because I was literally picking up trash and that was one of my jobs. I wasn't cleaning toilets, but it was kind of like the next worst job. And Spike Lee came to set and he saw me picking up trash in the projects. I um, really did stick out. And um, it was just an incredible experience because he came over to me and said, and he was asking about me because he was sort of curious what I was doing as a white girl in the projects, so happy to be there, cleaning up, doing what I needed to do. And uh, he hired me to work on his next movie from that interaction. And that was kind of right place, right time, not being afraid to kind of say what I wanted uh, and just to ask ask for it, which was yeah, I wanted to work on his next movie, and he hired me on the spot, as I said. So went from there, worked on several different movies, was getting ready. I had worked with Diane Keaton on a movie called First Wives Club, and she had hired me. Great movie, a cult classic. She had hired me to come to L.A., and I was going to be her assistant, and I was living in her apartment, packing her up, ready to go, I was on the cusp of moving, and I said, you know what? I really don't want to go to L.A. And something in my gut said I just I knew it was going to be the wrong move for me. And I wanted to make it work in New York, and I didn't know what that meant, except for I had met Jane Rosenthal on a set of a movie I'd worked on. And I turned to Diane, and this is Diane Keaton, and 
again, I don't think I thought about what was coming out of my mouth, except for, I really don't want to go. I think I want to work for Jane Rosenthal. She said, you know what? That's a better idea. You don't want to take my dry cleaning. You don't want to feed my dog. Let's call Jane. She picked up the phone, and you talk about being sisterly and supportive. It was incredibly generous. It turns out that uh, Jane was in a transition with a former assistant, Mm -hmm. and she needed somebody. I interviewed on a Monday at 4. By 4.15, I was sitting at my desk. That was Tribeca Productions. I worked there. I want to interrupt for one second. So what was there something within film that you were interested in doing, or did you sort of keep the doors open and say any? area that I can get into here. I'm willing to learn it. I'm willing to do it. I was completely open. I was working on a film set and I just was happy to uh, be a part of it. What's interesting is again, with, with hindsight, I've learned that I was actually really good at the talent relations piece. And ultimately that's where I've built my career was in talent relations, celebrity relations. And on sets that became my job. I was what's called the first team PA. Because I gravitated towards, um, I knew I was really good at that and, and what was required there. And, um, and, and what is, like, would you, what is that, what does that I require? would say, exactly. actually, all the things that it takes to be a patient mom of three small children <laughs> is, is probably great on-the-ground training for what I do at work. And I'm, I'm better at it at work, actually. Um, and it is, it's, it's patience, it's Conflict resolution. You know, I, I describe my job as part firefighter, part Julie McCoy. That's a dated reference for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. She's the cruise director on Love Boat. Um, so it's, it's part cruise director, part firefighter. I'm a matchmaker, Yenta, and I'm a yes person. And it's really nice, actually, to be able to be a yes person because I feel like at home, uh, in my home life, I'm always saying no. So it's nice to go to work and actually have people listen to me. And the reverse of that is I get to say yes. So um, is that what you would ask me? Have yes, I gone no, off? Yes, no, exactly. Tangent? I'm very Which jealous. Not, not atypical of me. I, I'd like but, a yes job. <laughs> oh, we have a call. It's my kid saying, can you say yes to the watch? <laughs> no. Hi, you're on. Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Um, that is... If you're going to call into the radio with a question, <laughs> Isaac, you better be prepared. Lesson one. Is there a question? Okay. <laughs> that is, I promise you. Yep. Oh, wait, we have another caller. Hold on, it could work. Take two. Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Hi, um, my question is... Um, I, I was wondering, um, <laughs> all right, guys, <laughs> goodbye. I took the phone away. Okay. Is there a question? Nope. nope. Okay. <laughs> My household is officially banned from calling back. <laughs> No more. I think they're very curious about the yes person. Yeah, they <laughs> do. They want they're they're calling about the watch and um so back to to work. I was at um I started working as Jane's assistant and my job really evolved from there. And interestingly, again with with hindsight, one of the first times I got involved in the gun violence prevention space, which is something I'm very passionate about as a board member of the Brady campaign and Connecticut against gun violence, uh the governor 
who was at the time the head of HUD, the housing um, and urban development, he was, Andrew Cuomo was doing, gun violence was a big issue for him, but it was an election year and it became really complicated, but he wanted somehow to produce some public service announcements on the issue, but he needed to be one step removed from it um, because it was such a hot political issue. And he hired Jane uh, Rosenthal, who was my boss, and I got involved in the movement by a work uh, initiative. We were we were creating public service campaigns, and it was at the time of the Million Mom March in 2000. So I went, not really understanding that much about what the gun violence prevention movement was about, and I went. Actually, my husband joined me. He was hired as the photographer and brought my mom along, and we were there. Really, and I was there in the talent relations capacity. I was helping behind the scenes. And I met the mom of a six-year-old girl who was shot because her classmate brought a gun to school that she got from her neighbor's house. Uh, the, a boy brought a gun to school that he had found at his neighbor's house, and he brought it to school for show and tell. And this little girl, Kayla, uh, was shot, and fatally um, her, her life was... Um, destroyed and the family's life uh, was destroyed from gun violence and you can't help but be impacted by that and it was at the time that they were launching the ask campaign which is asking saves kids and the idea behind that is good parenting is asking if there's a gun in the home where your child plays and I remember at the time when I, I didn't have children then it was 2000 my oldest child is 12 so it was 15 years ago it was just after Columbine and I remember thinking okay that I'm gonna do that and in, in fact I did, and I always ask if there's a gun in the home where my children play, and specifically I ask if there's an unlocked gun, and um, it's just interesting, again, I wouldn't have known then in 2000 that it would lead to the, the one of the defining things about my life now, which I find gives me my confident voice, and um, it's an issue that I'm, I'm very passionate about. I also um, live very close to Newtown. And on the morning of the shooting, December 13th, 14th, I was um, in, in New York with my youngest son, and I had two elementary school age or two elementary school age children, and I couldn't get through to the school. And this feeling of panic. And I knew there was a, count, a shooting in Fairfield County, but I didn't know where. And in that moment, a dormant activist sprang into action. I co-founded a grassroots movement called March for Change along with my husband and several friends. And we brought thousands of people to the Capitol on Valentine's Day and reimagined Valentine's Day. Our hearts are broken. We want the laws changed. And to this day, our governor and other elected officials credit that grassroots movement with moving the needle on the issue and being uh, impactful and getting our laws changed. And now Connecticut, I'm proud to say, has the second strongest gun laws in the country. Wow. Now, this is something Elizabeth actually brought up earlier. And and we'll go back again to Tribeca and that thing. But now that you've we've um, broached this, I have a question when you were saying that dormant activist was activated. So what like how what is that? So so you think this is it? This is what I want to do. How do you do it? Like, how do you take the next step, whatever it is you're interested in pursuing or or determined or, or feel very strongly about? Where do you begin? I would say, did you have something you wanted to add? No, I just would, would just add that a lot of us have the dormant activist for something that we believe in inside of us. So any kind of guidance as to, as to how we get that going is, is huge. I know it's not helpful to say you just do it, 
But I think in some ways that is the answer. And I think what the March for Change did, and March for Change was this grassroots organization operating under the aegis of the organization Connecticut Against Gun Violence, which had been and still remains working on these issues and had been for 20 years in Connecticut. Um, for me, I think it was just so inherent to my personality. I'm an organizer by nature. When there is chaos, even domestically, you know, if the kids are acting crazy, I'll set out to organizing a closet. I'll, I'll produce something. I'll make something. I'll take entropy, create order. And I think this was that on just a larger scale. And also for me, a control person, it was a way of making sense out of this awful chaos. And I think what the March for Change did was it was an engine. It gave people permission and the vehicle. So I would say that, again, inherent to my personality of being an organizer. And then professionally, that was my background. I do events. I know how to make connections. But I think like anything, and I was saying to my cohort at the time. Oh, hold that thought. We have a caller. Hold the thought. (laughs) Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Yes, hi. Um, I'm just curious as to how. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, oh. thank you. Do you find that uh, keeping your family involved uh, in your activism uh, gives you the time and allows you the space, if you will, to participate in all these activities? I'm just going to interrupt for one second. If you turn your radio down, um, I think there's a time delay. You won't hear the delay. All right, Nancy, I'll let you answer. Okay. So absolutely. I think that in the spirit of it takes a village, um, I wouldn't be able to do half the work I do, any of it, if I didn't have a supportive husband at home and children who understood that even when I'm spending a lot of time away, I'm going to come home and that when I am able to be there and be present, 100%, I'm going to do that. I'm not always great at turning it off. Um, and I do need to get better at that. And my husband is really good at reminding me of those times to be where my feet are planted. But I th- on the day of the rally in, in uh, Hartford on Valentine's Day in 2013, one of the first people I thanked was our babysitter. Because, again, I know that you can't accomplish what you do without great support. And it was a very proud moment for me to see my kids, to look out into the audience of those almost 6,000 people and see my kids and they could see that I set out to make change and with thoughtful activism, nonviolent activism, we could be productive and you could make change. And they actually used to make jokes that they were going to march for change if they didn't like certain rules that I had set out at the house. They were going to uh, have their own march for change. But yes, 100%, I think if you have the support and I don't always think it needs to be a husband. I'm very lucky to have a supportive husband and supportive children. But I think that, again, if you have this network of women who are lifting one another up, that's why that becomes so important. Because you know what? You can't be all things to all people. And I don't look to my husband to be all things to me at all moments because sometimes you need to turn to your female friends for, for guidance. So thank you for that call. 
Thank you very much. And I just want to remind anyone, well, I'm going to ask my co-host Elizabeth to announce the phone number, but live callers are welcome. And please take this opportunity because we just have an amazing, amazing woman in the studio tonight and take this opportunity to ask her these questions because I, I am telling you, this is a great, great opportunity right now. So Elizabeth. You can call it to 212-631-7553. Okay, so let's go back now. Well, I'm gonna st- we're going to come back to this again, but we're going to step back a little bit to your time at Tribeca. Mm-hmm. And when you first had that experience when, um, back in 2000, when you went down and then, so you met the woman who had gone through that horrific experience. You didn't have children at the time, and you then went back to work at Tribeca. So was this sort of in the back of your mind the entire time, or did it just sort of resurface again? Well, I think it really was Sandy Hook. Uh, and that experience of complete terror and anger and shame. And I thought there's so much in life that we can't control. And here is something that it's our fault. Like, what are we doing? And I was embarrassed that I didn't know what the gun laws were. I was embarrassed that I knew so little about something that had such great impact. Um, But it, it did change me. I was sort of feeling like I knew I wanted to have a family and that it made me think about things a little bit differently. But it was also, I was turning 30, and I think that it was the natural maturity and growing up and figuring out what my trajectory was going to be. And it did shape some of what I chose to do professionally. Um, I did stay with Tribeca, and I, I became really more of a consultant for a few years and um, didn't come back full time until the film festival happened. And that to me was a great experience, a great opportunity to do both, to feel like I could be part of this fun film world. And yet there was an element of giving back and helping reshape, revitalize uh, downtown and giving people new memories. And I was part of something that I could really believe in and get my head around. And yet I knew it would still be really fun and I could still activate that part of my brain. So it... The, the film festival, which is where I currently work, I work for Tribeca Enterprises, and the film festival is their public face, most public-facing event. Um, it really does satisfy kind of all worlds. I get to, to um, take all the things that I love and really and utilize all those parts of my brain. So. What is it you like the best about that role? Because you serve, you have many different roles in your life, but that role in particular, what is At it Tribeca? that, yeah, that sort of kept you there? What is it that you loved the most about it? I love the connections, the stories. I mean, very similar to you. I love hearing what people have to say. I love meeting new people. I love being a connector. I love uh, the entropy piece of it, taking something that seems chaotic and then creating something really beautiful and fun and being part of the film festival. If any of you have ever out there have not been to the film festival, it's quite a fun, extraordinary experience. It's um, just a great... For me, it's a it's a great uh, melding of all the things. Again, the the movies, which I love, and that experience, and being able to bring audiences great movies that they might not otherwise see, but then also piece with that an opportunity to meet somebody amazing. Um, in light of David Bowie's recent death, I was telling a story today that I got to remember. Uh, David Bowie came to the film festival several years ago as a juror, and he was quite present and really pleasant and he lived in Tribeca and we were asking him about his favorite fan interaction and he told a great story which I will not be able to tell in quite the way he did uh, because he really did have this great presence but he told a story about how he was walking up to the Met Gala the big costume ball that happens in the spring every year 
and he hears this voice. He hears someone approaching, and he knows it's going to be okay because there's lots of security around. And then all of a sudden, he hears this kind of voice that's very distinct start, who starts singing Space Oddity. And I'm going to spare your listeners <laughs> that. But it's Henry Kissinger whispering in his ear, this is ground control to Major Tom. And he just, I mean, quite incredible. But those are the kinds of stories that you hear at Tribeca. You know, it's just the access and the opportunity to meet people that I otherwise might not have a chance now, so this so City World Radio goes out to forty two plus countries all over the world, and so for those out there, we are in New York. Um, so Tribeca Film Festival in Tribeca is all located in New York. So, for, and I'm sure everyone is familiar with it, but for the the very few who are not, would you just sort of give it like an overall understanding of what it is and how you were saying that it allows the opportunity for films that may not otherwise have had an opportunity to be seen? It it, it really opens the door to everybody. So maybe if you could explain that a little bit to those out there who are less familiar with it. Sure. Uh, The Tribeca Film Festival was founded in the aftermath of 9-11. And really, what the world did not need was another film festival. And yet, what we knew we needed to provide was this service, this opportunity to bring community together. And Tribeca really, at its heart, is still a community-based festival that's about conveners, bringing people together, storytellers, it's, it's evolved, it's grown, but the spirit of why it started remains. And really, truly, at its heart, at the heart of it, is a little neighborhood festival uh, that is all about bringing people together. Uh, it's expansive. Um, we joke that Tribeca, which actually means triangle below canal, we joke that it, it means triangle below Canada, because it is <laughs> so expansive in its reach. But... Um, now, this film festival that started as kind of a five-day little festival is about two weeks, and we get films from all over the world. Um, the films that people don't otherwise have a chance to see, some short films, um, some experimental films. Um, our festival is a festival that buyers do come and buy films that a majority, hopefully, will get out to theaters, but what they won't get to experience, um, what audiences don't get to experience by going to the movies at their local cineplex and by experiencing the Tribeca Film Festival is having the opportunity to sit in a theater where David Bowie might be or the director and the producer, and they're talking about the experience of making the film and sharing what that is. Um, and that that's what makes this unique. And there's no audience like a Tribeca audience. I mean, it's as diverse as, you know, the number of opinions in, in a theater. So it's, uh, again, it's a pretty special thing to be a part of. And if you wanted to attend a film, is it open to the public? Yep. Is it? It is open to the public. Uh, tickets go on sale. You can look at the Tribeca Film website, TribecaFilm.com. We also do an online film festival for people who don't have the ability to get to New York. And we offer, um, we share some of the films that are curated specifically for our online film festival. And the TribecaFilm.com website is actually very robust in terms of sharing stories and and bits. So you can experience the festival even virtually if you virtually. can't be there in person. Oh, yeah. and we have a caller. Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Hi there. Um, I don't want to interrupt the Tribeca um, discussion because I think it's incredible what um, the festival has done for the city. Um, but I am really interested in some of, of the gun issues that um, Nancy's involved with. Is that okay to ask a question about that? Of uh, yeah, absolutely. So I have two kids, and um, there's a lot of 
crazy things going on in the world today, and um, it seems like gun sales go up every time one of these events, you know, is is broadcast, and we we hear about things. Um, and how are we talking to our kids? What's the best way to do that? Um, because gun violence has become such a problem, and. Our kids are not just mine, but I think there's some fear that's that's creeping in, and I, and I'm not sure how we go best go about that. That's a great question. Well, I think it's really important that we have the conversations because I think changing this conversation leads to change in culture, which leads to a change in gun laws. Being a parent means having some uncomfortable conversations, and that conversation may be. Do you have an unlocked gun in your home? Um, And that's between the parents. But I think that we have to not be afraid. I mean, when you think about um, the the gun deaths, suicide is a large – two-thirds of all gun deaths in kids are suicides. And I think that this – is a systemic issue. It's a multifactorial issue. There's, it's a public health issue for sure. And what I love about the Brady Center is it's all about access. I think we have to address public health uh, and mental health. We have to address mental health issues in this country. Uh, the, from where I stand, the, the Brady Center and why I'm involved is they're really not touching the mental health piece, except to say we have to limit access. Um, not some guns for all people, but all guns for some people. Because we can all agree that there are certain people that should just not have access to guns. And the mission of Brady is to cut gun deaths in half by 2025. But yeah, I mean, our kids are right to be afraid. Gun sales are going up, but it's not that the number of households of gun owners is going up. It's that the people who own guns are buying more. So people are stockpiling. Um, And it's because there is gross misinformation that's out there. Um, 1.7 million kids are living in homes with unlocked guns. It's terrifying. And living in a home and gun, uh, gun violence is the second leading cause of gun, uh, deaths in children. But yeah, I mean, it is terrifying and we do live in troubling times, but the, the hopeful thing, the good thing is that that's changing. And statistically, I think the media, the mass shootings are horrific, but they're actually not what statistically the problem statistically the problem is suicide and so i think that parents need to be communicating with their children i think the schools need to be uh participating in conversations and um but i will say the flip side is it's actually not as scary as the media sometimes makes it out to be i think the media has actually done a great job in keeping the issue alive um but yes it's very hard to say to your kid go off to school go off to the movies but it's lightning striking is the truth. Um, and I would say the Brady Center does a great job at putting these statistics on their – they have all these statistics on their website. Because I think for some kids, facts are, are what will make a difference. That I know you're scared, but let's look at the reality. The fact is you are less likely to be killed by a terrorist attack than X, Y, and Z. And I think that um, we have to focus on that. And we have to, this is why the background checks become so important um, because it's all about access. And, and if somebody... not having an unlocked gu- gun in the home where a teenager lives because teenagers are by their very nature volatile creatures. <laughs> emotional <laughs> emotional beings. Yes. <laughs> and if somebody wanted to go, what is the website to go to to look for this? It is 
bradycenter.org www.bradycenter.org and I have a question actually tying in both the Tribeca and this as well. Have you? I'm sorry, it's bradycampaign.org. But I think if you type in Brady Center, it will get you there. But bradycampaign.org. Sorry about that. Oh, a, a, a quick question tying in the two. Have you come across a film that covered gun violence or gun safety? Like in, your, in these, all of these years, even since 2000 when you first sort of were, became involved with this to a certain extent? Yep. Films are very reflective of the times and what people are thinking about. And there's actually an extraordinary short film that we've accepted into the festival this year that uh, is really stunning, and I think it's a great conversation piece. Um, Maria Cuomo-Cole, who I'm on the board of the Brady Center with, and a filmmaker, Kim Snyder, made a really compelling emotional film about Newtown. She had incredible access. It's very emotional, and it's really the portrait of how families are grieving and I haven't seen the finished film but I think that it's going to be so important to keep uh, that conversation going and there are a lot of films because again it's reflective of of the times and I'm sorry so uh, we still have a caller do you have any (laughs) do you have any follow-up questions no I just I really appreciate appreciate your insight Nancy and um, I think your work the work you're doing is important and um grateful for people like you in the world. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. So following up on that question about tying in the Tribeca and the, and in the Brady and the gun violence. So when you're talking about the movies that you can learn so much from them, what happens if there's a movie? So, you know, and anyone can submit any movie. So what if someone submits a very controversial or sort of a negative, the message of the movie is not a positive one, and it's a negative one. How do you handle something like that? And let's say specifically with guns or with... Well, we screened, and I was really proud of the festival, and it was very controversial for our fifth festival, our fifth anniversary festival. We screened United 93, which was, of course, all about 9-11. And we got a lot of heat. It was very controversial. And then ultimately it was such a great decision. I was so proud of us as a festival because again, it's, we're conveners and, um, talk about community and the feeling of bringing community together in light of that. It felt so appropriate and it was, uh, it just felt really appropriate and the right film for, for us. And I don't think that we're about censorship I mean, I think you have to be sensitive, but the programmers do an extraordinary job, which I have nothing to do with, um, but they do a really great job of putting together a program, a cohesive program about all kinds of issues, controversial and otherwise. Having kids, and again, this I, it's just a, it's scary. Like you watch things and you say, is this glamorizing something to somebody that it just should not be? Is no, this... I, I don't know. If I just think ever... it's all about communication. I mean, I think that we have to be talking to one another, whether it's the gun issue or whatever issues you're facing. Um, I think keeping communi- lines of communication open, whether it's woman to woman, colleague to colleague, husband and wife, your parent parenting children. I think clear communication is so important to. Uh, it's the, it's the key to any relationship. I would say. I agree. Communication is key. My husband would agree. <laughs> and speaking of communication, um, callers, please call in. Any live callers are welcome. And again, we have the 
unbelievable Nancy here. So call in. This is a rare opportunity to speak to someone that really, and I can speak as a friend of mine. She is an amazing person with an amazing heart that really will change the world. I'm confident. Um, So please join us. And Elizabeth, please share the number. It's 212-631-7553. You know, one thing I'm thinking about as we're sitting here and you're saying really nice things about me, which I appreciate, (laughs) and I'm happy to have my kids hear them and my sister and my extended family. Um, You know, on the outside, it looks all very seamless and very nice, but my boss, um, the great Jane Rosenthal, gave me a a sticker that I keep above my desk that says, I don't know how I do it all either. I mean, it feels like it's all falling apart at all moments. And I think sometimes we give... Uh, we do a disservice to one another. Like, I have it so together. Like, I so don't have it together. I mean, I'm staying up at night thinking about, like, crazy things, like not making sense of it, forgetting to have dinner on the table, running late, calling my children bad names, doing the best I can, you know, just trying to keep the wheels going. And I think that if we are all more honest with one another, I think um, that also would would go a long way because some people don't like to show their vulnerabilities. And I think it's these vulnerabilities which help elevate us all to the next step. And, you know, that was, and I know we discussed this part of the genesis of Morph Mom. It was just that. It was show what works, show what doesn't work. If you're there to support someone, they're up. It's more important when they're down. And that was a real, a very big part of this was to show, like on the table, show exactly who you are. My, Jane, early on after a, film's failure she talked pretty openly and it's something that stayed with me she said you know it's very easy to make the phone calls congratulations it's a success you're so great we're so proud of you we're part of this and then it's like dead wasteland when the failure comes because people don't know what to say and she said that is nothing more lonely in those moments because you think I'm a failure. Nobody wants, you know, nobody's there to stand with me and alongside of me. And I've taken that in in situations, both professionally and personally. I always err on the side of, you know what, I'm going to make the call. It might be really uncomfortable. That's brave to do that. But you know what, I wish it wasn't such a brave right. thing to do. Because I, but I do remember her, Jane, describing that feeling of this kind of wasteland, you know, echo, 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 you know, it's, where are people when you need them? And let them not answer your phone call. Let them not return the call. Mm-hmm. Let them hang up on you. But just be there. And it's there's something to uh, that idea of sitting in the room, even when the room is really uncomfortable. And again, I've, I've thought about that in my personal and my professional life. And um, I learned from someone else's experience of, of a failure. I think that applies really across the board in life. I had a good friend who was very sick with breast cancer and people were coming to me and saying, you know, should I call? I don't know what to do. I don't want to call. And and it's funny. And I went to her and I said, I, I I don't know if you feel up. And she said, do you know, everybody should call. And her reaction, which to this day, I find absolutely like that I will hold on to this forever was it will make them feel better. Tell them to call me. I may not feel up to speaking, but I know they need to reach out. So let them do it. And I just thought that was generous, generous, completely generous and really like a life lesson. And it does make the call easier to know. So just in general, I think it, it spans the board. You have to be there at all times when it's terrible and when it's great and, and nothing else. Teach that to your kids. Like, hopefully they will grow up to feel the same way. And I would also say further to that, I mean, if I was imparting unsolicited advice on someone who's coming up, um, is to just 
make the mistakes and just mm-hmm. just be there. Be be in the failure. Just keep trying. Like it's just okay. It just doesn't matter. And that it doesn't all have to be perfect. And yeah, you're gonna fail. And again, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. But um, make the again make the phone call. Put yourself out there on a limb professionally. I agree. Oh, and we have another caller. Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Hi. I read a lot of Who Was books and read about Gloria Steinem, who is a strong woman. Can you tell me about strong, strong woman with, who influenced you? That's a great question. That is a great question. Um, well, I stand on the shoulders, as I said earlier, of, of many strong women. Gloria Steinem, of course, being one of them. It, I will say, as a little sidebar, it shocked me. My assistant at last festival didn't know who she was. She was 22 years old. And I said, shame on you. Do not come back to work until you can tell me all about Gloria Steinem, because we are all where we are because of Gloria Steinem. Um, I would certainly say that my sister is someone who's a great influence on me, um, she is in Atlanta. She's a doctor. She went to medical school uh, at the age of 32 after a whole other career. She had her children while she was in medical school. She was back to – she gave birth, and then eight days later, she was sitting breastfeeding a kid in the middle of a lecture. Um, she's, quite, she's quite amazing. She lives in Atlanta, a place where it's not so popular to um, take a pro – pro-choice stance and she's on the board of Planned Parenthood and she's pretty incredible my mother is very strong she is a great influence on my life um, my friends Kathleen is quite incredible and it's really the the people that that lift me and make me feel like the best version of myself um, I mean certainly I can look at people who are in history famous people that I think wow that's pretty awesome but it's really the women around me that touch me it's a great question Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Hi, this is Josie. Hi, Josie. How are you? Good. Um, I'm here to talk about the Documenting Hope Project. Oh, great. Okay, so I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to interrupt briefly, um, we have an event. Morph Mom, as I said, has events. And by the way, tying this into what Nancy was just saying about... um, going for it and seeing what happens. Uh, more from from the start. And by the way, films being a great connector and a way to bring communities together and being a vehicle for telling stories. That's right. And this for com- sharing universal truths. Mm-hmm. This completely ties in with this. This is about a documentary, Documenting Hope. Um, but so events along the way, and I sort of give things, uh, I've tried everything with more fumps. Some things have worked, some things haven't. There was one event where there was one guest. It was me. And wait, no, two. I'm sorry, my mother. <laughs> there, were, there were two of us there. We all love our mothers. Yes, thank God she was there. Um, but I kept going and I tried another one. So that to Nancy's point, you just got to, you know, get yourself up again and just smile through the tears and the sweat and keep going. But the event we're having now is going to be documenting hope. So because I kept going with these and trying, we are throwing a tremendous event on January 28th. And it's to um, showcase this amazing documentary, Documenting Hope. And Josie, are you, are you still on the line? I am. I'm right here. And do you have a question about Documenting Hope, or would you like to... to... Um, well, I'm actually I'm the program director for Documenting Hope, so um, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you more about it. I thought um, 
maybe you'd like to hear more about the Documenting Hope Project. It would be great, and in particular because, as we said, it's a documentary, and Nancy is here who's been with Tribeca Film Festival and she's spoken to the value and the importance of what a film can bring and how much it can share. So, yes, could you just yeah give us a brief overview of what Documenting Hope is? Sure. Um, I mean, the Documenting Hope Project is a really exciting pilot recovery project where we're going to take 14 children that have seven different chronic health conditions. We're going to provide them with just world-class, amazing healing and recovery services over 18 months. And we're going to document, document scientifically and document on film just what can happen to these children over 18 months when you give them the right care. We're really excited about it. It really is amazing. And the women behind this are amazing, everything about it. And the way I became involved was I interviewed uh, Beth Lambert and Mary Tullese, who were involved with this as well and running it. And hearing, I started as a an interview. And three seconds into it, I was taken by the cause. I was taken by everything. Aww. I was on board. And I will be on board. So we're thrilled that this event is next um, two weeks from tonight, January 28th. It's in New York City. And uh, the information is on documentinghope.org. Is it, Josie? No, um, it's, it's documentinghope.com. Oh, dot com. www.documentinghope.com. And you can find, we've got a wonderful seven-minute trailer um, of the film. And if people want to donate, they can donate there. It's just really an inspiring project. So many great people involved. Beth Lambert is um, amazing. Our medical advisory board that's helping with the recovery, Dr. Martha Herbert from Harvard. Just, it just is just a stellar lineup and really exciting. So I hope everyone will go to the website and check us out. And um, we're so thank you so much for for um, sharing the information about our project. We're just you know just shouting it from the rooftops, and I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm thrilled to do it, and I can't wait for two weeks. And I encourage everyone to join in. Um, thank you, Josie, very much for that. All right. Have a great <laughs> night. Bye. Thank you. It's funny how, again, another film it, into what you do, how really it can just be transformative and bring across that information. So we're, we have a few minutes left. Oh, and we have another caller. Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments with Kathleen Smith and Nancy Lefkowitz. Hi, I'd like to ask Nancy a question. Great. Okay, I find it really interesting with your um, with your work at the film festival. Was there ever a time where you couldn't get work done because you were so starstruck? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I think part of my job, I'm very lucky to say, is getting to meet celebrities and being able to uh, just have real conversations and be goofy. I mean, I think part of why I'm successful is because I just act like my goofy, dorky self. And, um, you know, you realize, like, there are people like all of us. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story, and we may have to go out on this story. My husband will appreciate it. Uh, I was talking to a celebrity, and I was making him laugh, and I was being charming. And I think, God, I'm really great at what I do, and this is awesome. And my fantastic, great husband comes in and says, Nancy, I need to talk to you about the kids. We were in a green room. I need to talk to you right now. And he pulls me away. And I'm like so full of myself because there I am hobnobbing with this celebrity. And he turns to me and he says, you have a giant booger hanging out of your nose. Thank you for that. So, you know, listen, you have to keep it real. Nothing like those moments (laughs) to keep you humble, be a real person. But uh, no, I would say that I'm at a point in my life where 
I don't really get stopped in my tracks because someone is so... Bono made me blush, I will say that. But And David Bowie was pretty great. Yeah. But listen, I work for Robert De Niro. That sets the bar pretty high. Yeah. I met, Sean Ca- I met Sean Cassidy. That won't mean anything to you. But for me, that was like meeting the modern day equivalent of like, what, Justin Bieber or Bieber? But uh, but uh, that was pretty amazing. That that made me stutter a little bit. Oh well, I, I can't. I think we're out of time, and I can't thank everyone enough for um, for everything tonight, Nancy. Uh, first of all, Elizabeth, an amazing co-host. I need your voice. Um, and Nancy, I can't thank you enough for tonight. And thank I encourage you. everyone to visit. And again, please repeat the Brady. Well, there's first TribecaFilm.com to experience the film festival and the BradyCampaign.org. And I would also like to add to those of you from Connecticut who are listening, CAGV, Connecticut Against Gun Violence.org, is another great organization. Thank you to everyone, and we'll see you next week. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education.